God's power to save his people is greater than the world's power to oppose him. Because of this, God's people don't have anything to fear as they represent him. Perhaps you saw a taste of that this morning as you heard the word. So how does this opposition happen? How did the opposition happen in Acts 3 through 5? Well, it often happens when the gospel is preached correctly. Christians don't simply share kindness and pray for miracles randomly. No, they use the means of good work, caring for people's bodily needs, to get to the end goal, which is to press towards the real spiritual need that all people have. And that is the need for people to be reconciled to God and live life and live lives of repentance as God's judgment looms. And in doing this, they very much follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Perhaps you saw some resemblance between Peter and Jesus this morning. Now, though God's people are opposed in doing this, they can do it confidently knowing that God is going to grow his kingdom. And we're going to see all that this morning as we continue through Acts. And this is the final scripture passage, what we're studying of what we're calling the first section in which God's kingdom was birthed after waiting on the Holy Spirit. Now the newborn church is beginning to grow and that's going to be accompanied by some pain and all of that is normal. All of that's normal. And so as we wonderfully heard our passage recited today and as the first section, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10 of my text today is not a very complex story, I'll simply draw your attention to what, what happened as we begin. So I won't read 3, 1 through 10. I'll just recap. Peter and John found a lame man. They healed him in the name of Jesus and they drew a crowd. That's what happened. And the first thing that Luke tells us here in this passage is the means of sharing the gospel. It's point one, bringing healing by the authority or the name of Jesus. Let me first explain the scene leading to this healing. So Peter, who in the last text preached a sermon that converted 3,000 people, is going to a temple with the Apostle John, and they meet a man who's kind of famous for being needy. Look at verse 2. He's a man who was lame from birth, and he's laid at the gate, and this happens daily to receive alms or money from pious religious people. He asks them, and Peter gets his attention. He says, look at us. Now look at verse 6. He says, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that happens. He takes the man and he picks him up and his legs become strong. And this is the first physical healing post-resurrection that we know of. And if you have even a basic knowledge of Jesus' ministry, this looks a lot like that. 
But what's really amazing is how little time Luke spends on the healing and how much time he spends explaining it. Because that healing was done on purpose to point to something else, something greater. Here's a clue as to what that is. In verse 8, the man is leaping and praising God and he's going into the temple. And remember, he's praising God, not Peter. That's a clue. (laughs) And in verse 9 and 10, the people recognize him. And of course, knowing that this is not a setup, or if it is, it's a very, it's a very elaborate 40 year setup. They are filled with, verse 10, wonder and amazement. So they make that connection. This is a guy, he was sick, now he's better. But we get a clue as to what they're missing. And here's a clue as to what that is. The clue is in the wording which connects to a book that Luke quoted often in his previous writing, the Gospel of Luke, And that book is Isaiah. And the passage is Isaiah chapter 35, verses 4 through 6. I'll kind of abridge it here. Here's what Isaiah is saying hundreds of years before. Behold, your God will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. This is what's called messianic prophecy, if you've ever heard that phrase. Don't be confused. It's just a sign that people should be looking for to know, hey, that that long-awaited Savior that God promised, He's here. You'd be looking for signs like that. So in other words, this guy leaping and praising for joy is not a random act of kindness by Peter. It's almost a setup. I don't think the lame guy is complaining. This is all to point to a much more valuable healing. Now, with all that set up, let us reread verses 3, 11 through 18 and get to the explanation. So while he, that is the formerly lame man, clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power and piety we've made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, remember this is a Jewish audience, they're in a temple, He glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health is in the presence of you all. In other words, your witnesses now. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as also did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, 
he thus fulfilled. That is a big explanation. And the second thing that Luke is telling us here is the end of preaching the gospel. So the means is healing in the name of Jesus. And the end is this, it's point two, calling people to their desperate need for Jesus. Again, it's not random kindness. So there's two ways this need plays out that Peter's about to explain. The first one, sub point A, is the need for reconciliation to God, which is only available through Christ. It's the first way this plays out. So let me kind of explain this scene, and then we'll take a a journey through the Old Testament, because this temple crowd, again, is a Jewish audience. First, look at verse 12 and consider Peter's words. Why do you wonder? Why do you stare? As though we did this by our own power. In other words, he says God's power is great. He takes their wonder and amazement and he aims it up at God. Just in case any of them were thinking he was something. But then he gives them some very bad news. Look at verse 13. That same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our fathers, glorified Jesus, in whose name this man was just healed. He glorified Jesus, and you handed Jesus over to be crucified as he was about to be released. So what's Luke saying here? Well, if we remember our clue from the Messianic text from Isaiah that I just read, what Luke is telling them is that they might think their allegiance is to God as Jewish people, but the Messiah, Jesus, who God glorified, did come, but instead of recognizing him, you denied him. And it gets worse. Verses 14 and 15. You freed Barabbas instead. You denied the holy and righteous one. You gave life to a murderer. In verse 15, you took the life of the author of life. In other words, Jesus is holy. But you are so blind, children of Abraham... That you sent Jesus to die and you set Barabbas apart as holy. Luke is showing his audience that because they opposed Jesus, they opposed God. And this amazing power that they just witnessed, this power that restored a lifelong lame man, Belongs to a God who you think is your friend, but he is your enemy. Wow. So now what? (laughs) Well, in this bad news, there's actually very good news. And it's that their sin, great as it is, cannot at all stop what God is doing. Still in verse 15. You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. 
To this, we are witnesses. In other words, you killed him, but you could not keep him dead. And Jesus wasn't just raised. He was raised in power. Verse 16, by faith in his name, that's the name of Jesus, that's how this man was healed. In other words, if Jesus were still dead, this man would still be lame. But he's alive. And so healing is yet possible. And you know what? Perhaps if healing of the body is still possible, still given out generously, maybe spiritual healing is too. Let's look at verse 17. This crowd doesn't deserve a lot of mercy, but Peter gives it to them. He says, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. And their rescue is explained by verse 18. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So Peter here offers them reconciliation with God. Right here is the heart of the gospel presentation. You made Jesus suffer and die because of your great sin, but it was actually by his willing, holy acceptance of that death, his sacrifice, that your salvation was made possible. So you can be fully bad, and God can be fully good at the same time. In fact, that's your way out. That's the gospel. It's not random acts of kindness. Not at all. So here's what the audience would take away. You are a sinner, but God's power is greater than you. That's what the audience takes away. Anybody reading this? So you need reconciliation to him, but you can only get reconciliation from him. Make sense? Now, is that all for the Christian? Is that the purpose of the message completely? No. There's now a new life to live for those who have been saved. Peter gets at this in verses 19 through 26. Let's read that. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons and the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. That's your second sub-point. It's the other angle here of uh, what it means to desperately need Christ, and that is you also need repentance and refreshment as God's judgment looms. 
That's the new life of a Christian, repentance and refreshment. First, let's talk about repentance. Look at verse 19 with me. Repentance is defined right here, clarified as turning back. Or you might say a turnaround in the way that you live. There's a change. It's not just I'm covered and I keep doing what I want. It's a change. It's turning away from the opposition of Jesus, like what these people are doing, these religious people, like I said, and instead you're working with him. You're moving towards him. And this blots out the sins of the people. Now that could be a little confusing, but it's as if, if you're one with Christ, what Peter's saying here is that the holiness in him is then imparted to you. And so just as Peter here is very much resembling Jesus, so can they. Now in doing this, verse 20, um, in doing this, there is refreshment. There's a certain peace. Why? What's this refreshment? Well, because God's judgment is looming, even though it is, they don't have to be afraid. This coming judgment is actually not something that will cause them to fear. Let me explain. Look at the back end of verse 20a through through 21. Back end of verse 20. So God's sending Christ again, and he's doing that to restore things just as these holy prophets foretold so long ago. In other words, the day of the Lord, everybody was thinking it already came or they were hoping it would come through like political overthrow. No, it's actually coming in the future. And it's actually a day of restoration. Well, for those who are with Christ... I'm going to make a quick pause here to explain something. It's time for a scary word. Anybody know the word eschatology? Uh, It's the study of the end times or or when Christ will come back and what that will look like. And we don't talk about that a lot here, but we're going (laughs) to. Because we see a flashing light of eschatology that I want to offer for your refreshment. Here it is. Because Peter is helping this hopefully soon to be reconciled audience to, to look ahead. Here's what he's saying here. You can be reconciled to God. Then there's number two. Jesus hasn't come back yet. That's where they are now. Number three. Someday he will come back and you will be restored. Some people call this the already and not yet. I don't know if you ever heard that phrase. It means God's restored everything. You can bank on that. Now, he's not back yet, but he will be. So you're looking forward to it. It's, it's as good as gold. It's going to happen. But it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. And so God's reconciled people, 
based on that promise, can hold fast until that day and they continue to repent and take off the old way of living and become more like Jesus and be refreshed looking at the promises until he comes back and they're with him forever. See? Eschatology is meant for your clarity and your refreshment. Please don't get lost in it. And if you meet people that are lost in it, please help them. It may take a while, though. I got stories I could tell, but I won't. Maybe afterwards. So, what about people who aren't reconciled? Should those people be afraid? Should they feel refreshed right now? Well, Peter makes a reference to Moses that gives us a clue. Let me again read verses 22 and 23. Peter says this, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. So this alludes to material from Deuteronomy 18 and Leviticus 23. You can write that down if you want. Deuteronomy 18 and Leviticus 23. And in those passages, Moses warns God's people about seeking God's will outside of his prophets. In other words, he's saying, don't do that. And if you do that, you're going to be cast out from the people. Now, Moses was a prophet for Jesus. He was speaking ahead to him. And so, think about that. How much more heinous is it now to rely on anything other than Jesus? That's what Peter's saying. You think it was bad to ignore Moses. Don't ignore the guy who Moses is pointing to. So friends, Peter isn't talking about simply being cast out of church when he says destroyed from God's people. He's talking about God sending people to hell. That's what's happening here. Those who do not place their hope in the name of Jesus go to hell. Now, there was hope in these Old Testament passages for people who were ignorant of the law. You know, they bring in foreigners and they're like, well, I don't know what the, New Te- I don't know what the Ten Commandments are. I didn't, I didn't read Leviticus. Um, but now, to this formerly ignorant Jewish crowd... You know what Peter's saying? You're not ignorant anymore. Put your hope in Jesus. Be reconciled to him. Repent. And be refreshed. Because if you don't, judgment looms. And as a final invitation and a bit of a warning, look at verses 25 through 26. Peter cites the crowd's ancestry in quoting an old promise from God from Genesis 22:18. In your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So this offer is for the Jews first, implying that the window for their reconciliation and repentance is open. But it's not going to stay open because this message is for the world. And if you ignore it, 
God is going to give it to somebody else. So that's the big question. Will they accept? And that's the main application for us. Will you accept? Now I'm talking to a lot of churchgoers here, but guess what? So was Peter. So another way to ask this is, are you reconciled to God through Christ? Again, the churchgoers would probably, well, yeah, sure. Now, let me pause. If you're not, (laughs) if you're watching this on Zoom and you just randomly found us through a link, thanks for coming. If you're not reconciled to God through Christ, please don't delay. You know, if you've been searching and reading and thinking, you know, I I think I, I buy this. I want to tell you that the window's open, but it's not going to stay open. And you can't claim ignorance anymore, because I just told you, and we recorded it. <laughs> so back to everybody else here, those of you who profess Christ. How do you know if you've accepted? Well, let me just ask you a few questions from the text. Number one is, are you repenting? Are you repenting? Is your life moving in a trajectory away from how you were living? Are you living more towards God than you were when you became a Christian? And the second question is, are you seeing times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord? That's a weird question, but it's right here in the text, so I'm going to ask it. Now, this does not mean that life is completely refreshing. Hence the word times. You know, Peter and John are about to go to jail. Is that refreshing? No. (laughs) Let me just share how all this works out by explaining what 2020 looked like for me. (laughs) Okay? As a lot of you guys know, I struggled with anxiety for like much of last year. That was before this. Okay? So when everything kind of blew up in March, it got really bad for me for a bit. I remember just being so anxious and this caused me to be angry and fearful at the same time. I don't know if you've ever seen those play off each other and my family caught a lot of that because I was stuck at home. (laughs) It was not a refreshing season at first. But faithfully, the Lord helped me to see what I was doing and confess my sins to him, to my wife, to my kids. And I began turning away from that and towards unity with him. Things are actually better now than they ever have been in quarantine. Can you believe that? It's repentance. That's all I'm talking about. It's not clean. It's not easy. It's a trajectory. And doing that faithfully has brought much refreshment. Refreshment. So how's this year been for you? I want to ask you to think about that as the year ends. 
Reflect. Read this passage. And consider what repentance and refreshment has looked like for you. One more application. I can't help it. Let's apply this text outwardly to how we reach people. Here it is. Here's your application. Don't waste your healing. Here's what I mean by that. Resist the temptation as a Christian to participate in random acts of kindness. We just ended a season of random acts of kindness, didn't we? Now, I am telling you, care for the bodily needs of people. In fact, like Peter, lavish acts of good work in the name of Jesus and then use that to get to the healing that people really need. Don't be random. We don't serve a God of randomness. You want someone to know Jesus? Care for their needs. Don't stop there. If you stop there, you're like a plane flying over a third world country and dropping Bibles on them. I don't know, maybe try food and water first? Yeah. Speak the language that means something to them and then they'll listen to you. Does that make sense? How much more receptive is the lame man now? How much ready to listen were the people in the temple? Speak the language people understand and they're going to be a lot more likely to listen. Now when you do that, and then you press into the real need, you might get some pushback like Peter and John are about to get. They might not like your angle. Because to a lot of people, Christians are just supposed to be nice people and keep their religion to themselves and just feed poor, feed poor people. So when you press in with more, you might get pushback. Is that something to be afraid of? No. Because you're not going to face God's judgment, so why do you need to fear, fear the world's judgment? God's power is greater. Let's look at that as we close out with chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, a number, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So that's the last thing Luke is saying. It's this, as opposition to the gospel looms, expect growth. I mean, this text is a prime example of people who think they're God's friends but they're not. They have rejected Jesus. They're annoyed about the resurrection. And so they've rejected God. And of course they're going to reject Peter. Because Peter's going around in Jesus' name. And these guys have so much worldly power, don't they? But how does that compare to what God is doing? See in verse 4, the number of men saved comes to 5,000, and that is not counting the women and children. Good work, Peter. And as we'll find out next week, Peter and John are going to get released. 
Man, if you look at that, there's real pain. There's real persecution happening. And these guys are really starting to look like Jesus, aren't they? They're bringing healing in the name of God. They're then pointing to a need for reconciliation to God by the power of God through Christ. And now, just like Jesus, they're being rejected while God's enemies set themselves apart as holy. But the day of the Lord is coming. So we can expect the same as we live in the already and not yet. Some people are going to accept the gospel when we preach it. We can expect that they will be reconciled to God. Some will. We can expect that some will live radically transformed lives of repentance. We can expect people to be refreshed, even in times that don't look refreshing. And we can expect to be opposed in some pretty scary ways. But we can face their judgment because they know they, if they're not reconciled to God, will face God's judgment. And so we can expect, even as opposition grows, that God's kingdom will grow. So your last application is don't fear opposition, expect growth. Don't fear opposition, expect growth. So as we heard from the reading of Acts 3 through 5, the opposition came to the church in its infancy. And it's going to keep up. In fact, you've already seen some of that in the reading of 3 through 5. And it comes from the outside, the Pharisees. It comes from the inside, crooked church members. So we can expect the same. And in that is perhaps even more refreshment. Because it has happened, and it will happen. And for that reason, as life seems scary, you can, you can take great pleasure in the fact, great refreshment in the fact, that you're a very tiny part of all of this. And that's good news. You can't stop what God is doing, but He's inviting you to be a part of it. So you lavish people with good works, but don't waste them. Get their full attention with generosity and then tell them about the healing they really need and that only God can give. And if they reject you, expect that God will grow his kingdom through your humble works until that great and yet terrible day of restoration when Jesus silences every voice that does not praise his name. God's power to save his people is greater than the world. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the fact that your power is greater than our power. Lord, we can take so much comfort in that. Jesus, would you help us to love your word, to meditate on your word, to memorize your word, and then to share that word with people. To not give them random acts of kindness, but to point them to a purposeful God who is purposeful to save and purposeful to judge. Thank you, God, for who you are. Amen.